Welcome and thank you for tuning into Organon, the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. Walls have been built around the world for the last millennia for a number of reasons. Some of those reasons include to keep people from coming in, keep people from leaving, to mark boundaries, and for military purposes. In Hungary, the country has experienced thousands of migrants from Syria. Then in the U.S., of course, the hot political debate is around the border between it and Mexico. It appears that for every argument against the border wall, there's also an argument for having them. On today's episode, we take a step back and look at what folks at both sides of the argument are saying about building or dismantling walls that divide us from our neighbors. Present today to discuss this topic from New York City, we have myself, Carl Letamendi. And Jasmine Letamendi. And recording live from Los Angeles, we have... Hey there, Casey Shop. Quite Casey, take it away. Great, thanks, Carl. Um, so, I <clears throat> for this top week's topic, I wanted to explore the notions of borders and nation building and um, a national identity. <clears throat> so, some really cool facts um, just to share with you guys. <laughs> well, not really cool. It's kind of it's very scary. <clears throat> so, each year, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Um, Confiscates, confiscates over 7,910 pounds worth of drugs um, to over $289,000 of undeclared or illicit currency um, and handle they, they handle over $6.3 billion worth of imported goods and they process over a million people. That's just insane, right? <clears throat> and... Um, but the problem with uh, the issue that the border control has is that even though they, you know, they control a border and they process a lot, a lot of materials, goods and people, there's actually a, an increase um, in money laundering, guns and tra- drugs trafficking, human tra- trafficking across the border. And um, to the point where 98.9% of methamphetamines. Meta- meta- 99% of marijuana, 61% of cocaine are basically transited through the U.S., I mean, through Mexico-Central America um, border. And it's it's an interesting fact because over the past decade, 50, we have an increase of uh, 50% more people are dying of drug overdose than ever. And you can see that effect in society. So I want to just <clears throat> kind of use that as a starting uh, topic for us to discuss about, you know, what's the borders, the implications, and and I'll kind of learn some some stuff on it. <laughs> That's my piece. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll jump in um, on the topic. I know that it's like I said in the intro that it's a hot political issue, and a lot of people are like, "How how could we? We should be." I saw a really good tweet, um, or that was from like a, a church. Um, I don't remember where the church was, but. It said, we shouldn't be building taller walls. We should be building longer tables. And I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Of course, on the side of those who are not um, for the the Mexican border wall and who are for dismantling it. But then again, it, it's always been kind of funny to see that that there is a big push for a border wall in between the U.S. and Mexico. But we've also got another country to our north. So if the country really wanted to protect itself that much from from influx of um, of migrants, shouldn't it have also built a wall between the U.S. and Canada? Hmm. Right. Well, we still have to go through customs when we want to enter. 
Canada, so you you have to show some form of identification. Mm-hmm. Well, do you guys think like Casey was talking about the drugs and whatnot, and how that that comes into the country, the arms and and all that. But even when it comes to like the weapons, for example, that we have different gun laws across the states because some states share reciprocity with other states and others don't. So if you have um, a gun license from Florida, for example, you can't use it in, in D.C. or New York or New Jersey, for example. But you could use it in another state. And I'm not going to name the states because I don't want to be the source of, of a, a reciprocity case here. But... Um, I know that other <laughs> other states would take the the Florida license, and and you just have to be aware of the law in that other state. But um, interestingly, in in uh, in some states in the Northeast, you are allowed to purchase a gu- uh, a handgun at a store, and not have to have a license, for example. And what happens is, if you if somebody in a state that is very strict on gun law um wants to obtain one they can just go to another state they don't even have to cross the border and they manufacture they they manufacture guns here also so i think it's uh it's a it's an interesting argument because no matter how you look at it from different perspectives there's always like a counter argument also and uh, i did find a uh an article from a website it's an opinion piece um uh, specifically about the border wall it was it was published last year in august um, from AZ Central, which I, I assume, just looking at it preliminarily, that it's from Arizona. And they came up with, let's see, the 14 reasons why we need a border wall. And one of those reasons, I'll just read them out, is uh, to keep or thwart illegals, drug traffickers, and terrorists out. Mm-hmm. And another one is save men, women, and children from dying in the desert. Keep illegals from trashing the desert and U.S. Pri- uh, property. Uh, keep men, women, and children from falling victim to human traffickers. Less anchor babies. Less immigration hearings and court costs to reduce violence, especially in sanctuary cities. To lessen the number of border patrol agents. Um, to protect the agents. Less welfare recipients. Less school, hospital, medical cost. Less impact on public safety. More jobs available. And to mitigate the fears that many Americans uh mitigate the fears of many americans that occur with an open border so in in all of these cases it's like we need a border wall because for the people who come into the country bring in bad things so therefore we need a wall to prevent this from happening so you know um a lot of economists have done studies on this about the uh, economic impact of having immigrants into the u.s and there's substantial literature to show that actually immigrants actually don't compete for the same jobs as american born and in fact they help them uh, increase their income like in uh, welfare um so this is the case because um this is a really good article by the brooklyn institute and they what they were saying is that um what immigrants do is that they take over the farmer and contracting kind of manual labor part giving the uh let's say farmer more uh opportunities to do more kind of like i want to say what administrative you know marketing other you know non-labor work that allows them to increase their revenue and income um i think also another thing we need to think is that um immigration is not just people coming in it's actually us encourage them to come in as well 
because um, in the U.S. history, um, remember during the late 19th century that we were not born in, about the you know transnational railroads. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so the U.S. had passed a law prohibiting um, Chinese immigration to the U.S. And so what the what the steel companies did was that they Im- they migrated Mexican to work on the railroad. And at one point, 60% of the laborers were from Mexico. By any chance, um, do you think, do you know if the, that prohibition against Chinese migrants was because of opium? Um, probably. I, I think at one point they were just, um, I think this, uh, this is during the time when U.S. were isolationists and they, they didn't want, they, they were limiting the, uh, the import of, you know, foreigners. And this is the first of many. And then, there was a law later where they were trying to limit the number of um, Europeans coming to America. But that was, um, but here's the irony, Mexicans were exempt from it. So what what people did was they crossed the Mexican-American border to get into the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, and it wasn't actually the, it wasn't officially where we, we reduced the immigration from Mexico specifically. That was until, ni- I want to say, 1983, where um, I have the act on, but I can't seem to find it right now. But there was an it was a three-peg uh, act, and they were trying to curtail. It was the Congress, actually, was trying to curtail the impact of immigration into the U.S. from Mexico. And um, that policy... Um, I'll get back. I'll get it soon. Was actually super ineffective, and it created m- much more conflict in the system. So right now, there's an estimate of over 12 million undocumented illegal um, immigrants from uh, Mexico and Central America. Mm-hmm. But then three years later, in um, in '86, Ronald Reagan um, declared Im- amnesty for all for everybody who was already in the country illegally. Do you think that's something that might happen now? Um. Oh, we should talk about Dama then. Daka. Uh, Daka. Daka. Oh, we're so close. Dama. <laughs> it was a D A I A something. Daka. 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 Yeah. What do you guys think about Daka? Yeah. So then, I'm not. I'm not really like an expert. And DACA, but from my from my perspective and from what I know about DACA, is that it's for parents who came with their babies and they crossed the border um, illegally, and then the child was raised here. Um, mm-hmm. So then DACA is really is meant to like provide protections and allow them to stay a little um, a, a longer in the country. And I know that we also have like the Dream Act, for example, that allows. Um, persons with no citizenship status to go to college for example but i think that a lot of those are kind of like also gives them license and permits for work yeah work permits and and all that so um and also allows them to go to the military also there's there's some patches in that though because for example um to apply for the the dream the dream act requires an application and that cost about four hundred dollars the last time i looked into it and there's actually a lot of parents that don't want their their teens to apply for it because they're afraid that putting that information on paper and revealing where you live and whatnot could be grounds for easy target if there's like a raid or something like that so there's a lot of distrust in the government i mean 
a lot of people who are citizens distrust the government. So imagine people who are not citizens and how mm-hmm. much they, they distrust the government, especially what they're seeing on the news now. And also while a lot of them can go, I think going to the military is, is great because of course, um, doing so comes with a whole bunch of benefits and you can also get like GI bill, which I'm, I'm not sure if they qualify for, but I don't see why not because they served. But if you decide to just go to college, I don't think you get federal aid. I'm not no, sure. I don't, I don't think you get, but it's more so like giving you the opportunity to participate in things that mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily be able to because you don't have a social security number. Right. So I think the controversy with a lot of it is these kids are scared to do certain things now that it's kind of like in question because now to your point, they are vulnerable and they felt like they could trust it during like when the act went through and now it's kind of everything's being revoked or in the process of being so. So it's creating kind of this big movement in terms of like it's it's not good for the economy it's not really good for the trust of the country like i think that's the baseline of a lot of the conversations mm-hmm. yeah uh, just yeah. so i don't misinform you guys but the act was in, in 1986 and it was called immigration reform and control act and basically this marked the beginning of the current immigration enforcement policy you know i um, I, I really really thought that before Obama left office, that that he was going to declare amnesty, like it would have been exactly twenty years after this act, and I I think from a political perspective, if if you are saying that there's like a lot of illegals here who are criminals and drug dealers or whatever, and there's some sort of like mandatory sign up process, but full um you know amnesty, then you're also capturing those persons who committed crimes when they do sign up you know what i mean since you're requiring it uh, out of everybody but i mean there there's still also going to be more influx of people coming in um no matter what and i mean it's happening also in europe too a lot of a lot of migrants that are leaving um northern africa are are trying to go to germany and try and they've they've been very open to to receiving um these migrants and trying to 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 help them out there's other countries like spain for example they really try to get them back home um they don't want them in the country so i guess i think there are two things to this like i don't agree that the we there's an issue that we should make them illegal i think the problem is congress is not really doing the job and because of that, the executives are becoming more, more and more powerful. They're doing policies that Congress should be doing. And I think that's really dangerous to our democracy because I love Obama. I thought he did an amazing job. But the, some of the stuff he did, it seemed like he was encroaching on the executive, you know, on the uh, legislative power with all of his executive orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, and, like you see, like you notice, there those orders are not permanent. They could be removed easily with the next president, and that's exactly what Trump is doing. He's basically dismantling all Obama's er- or executive orders error, mm-hmm. and because of that, um, like Congress should be the one that's making these laws because it wants to make a law, it becomes permanent, unless you know. So, all these policies we're dealing is because. The congressman, they're just way too chicken to make policies that maybe might kick him out of the office. You know, that it's against, that it's not popular, but something that's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I, I think it's it's good that you that you brought up the fact that um, that Congress also has to do their part too, because we don't live in um 
this isn't a monarchy. A lot of people, I think, I guess sometimes we forget that we're a democracy and that the powers are divided into three. Um, and that that's why some things don't work out because there's disagreement among those three branches. If we didn't and we had one person who called all the shots, then it wouldn't <laughs> really be a democracy. But I think, um, you know, I don't know. It, it should be interesting. I mean, I know, I don't know where they're at with the whole DACA situation, but I don't, at, at the same time, I don't see a whole lot of proposals coming out of Congress either on, on what to do about it. And I thought like, you know, 1986 wasn't really that long ago and it did help, you know, in, 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 in some ways to, to jumpstart the economy in, in different kinds of ways and whatnot. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that they, that that hasn't been brought up or put on the table. Hmm. Who knows? Yeah. It's being optimistic about it, but it is it is alarming to see the fact that a lot of people are in fear now. Especially they, you know, if they are contributing to society, and like, what does this mean for them now? Like, not knowing what the next steps are, um, and how they feel, like their safety, because safety is is one of the human needs that we learned in in human factors. And so if people don't feel that they're safe to even be who they are and the fact that they trusted in a program um, that, you know, is supposed to help a lot of people get, you know, contribute to society and be and be part of the system. And many of them consider themselves American. They've they've been raised here. English is their first language. So these are things that are, are very important because we we are now like now the talks are just all about the the wall in Mexico, but if we if we look at um, just historical, we're looking at numbers. The you know border patrol agents when they first start like they have tripled um, or doubled, I guess in a sense since they get, they first started, and that you know we went from like six thousand or so agents to now to ten thousand. And then now we're at um, the latest number nearly stands at at 21,000 border patrol agents. So if we're doubling so much on agents and border, you know, and building this wall to divide us, then what are we really doing? Like what, you know, we're not really having these discussions within our communities. And it was, it's actually really interesting because um, a French artist, um, he actually went, um, he went to Mexico and he has also done um, other sort of big structures, portrait, large scale portraits in the slums of Paris and also in Rio um, in Brazil. So he goes by that. He's, his name is um, J.R. But he did this portrait um, that looks at the it's like a, you know, a giant portrait of a toddler looking over the U.S. Mexico border wall. Where he he found he the purpose of him putting this this art there is to prompt the discussion of what's happening, why why this border stands there and like what is the future for our for the next generation. What do you guys think about that? I think the discussion overall is is necessary, and I think maybe it's just not lauded enough in some instances. It kind of I feel like the way the media cycle is going, it kind of takes one thing and it emphasizes it and goes to the next thing it emphasizes. And it's kind of just 
a rolling of things and maybe it's just there's so many conversations that need to happen at once like choosing what takes the priority because in order for like a movement to happen you need like the support of the masses and it's it's hard given the amount of change that's coming through right now that everyone has an opinion against and how to focus your energy without dividing it where it's not making an impact. I thought it was interesting that the mm-hmm. reasons that Carl was listing earlier about <clears throat> why they need a border control, like for example, the economic impact, like they said that it would actually, you know, hurt, hurt America's economic interest to have immigrants and studies show that's not the case actually makes the lives of, of natural born Americans even better. And the other reason they were saying, well, like just, reasons that are like not grounded in research or 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 like like rational thinking it's very irrational and how and if that's the the discourse like that's the conversation piece how do you go about in really discussing it when the the people who make the argument against immigration is they're not really basing it on facts or theories or you know constructive um they're all they're all generalizations, right? Mm-hmm. About not, not, they're not coming up with like hard numbers. I think what you need to do is like an analysis of the of the net cost and just see what the true cost of um of of all um immigrants as a subgroup um are to the system relative to how much they're contributing. Because they're nope. because then since there there are some there they don't have like. Or like rights or access or ability to claim certain things. I mean, it's like it's kind of like they're 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 putting money into a pot, but they're never seeing any they're never seeing any of it back. I, well, I see your I don't know. Sorry, Casey, because no, I see ahead. I get Carl's point in terms of the education process of it, but I also understand like from Casey's side that like even even with the climate change stuff with all the scientists and all the data that comes forward and there's more and more documentation on that i would say than like the benefits of immigration and people still don't believe certain things like that happen people still for some reason nowadays think the world is flat like educating it's not that is round (laughs) but like educating people who are just kind of fed in their generalizations is probably going to be a bigger struggle than most people think it's going to be because a lot of the times facts don't matter for some of these people. They kind of, they're stuck in their ways and it it's irrelevant to some point, which mm-hmm. is frustrating. I can feel like from a large portion of the population. So it's figuring out how to get the point across, hearing the other side, but still kind of pushing your initiatives through. <laughs> you know, so it's right. like, it's like a between a rock and a hard place essentially because right. people are, are so stuck in their ways that they're not willing to listen yeah you know you just remind, reminded me of something funny you know those c-span um broadcasts that nobody watches so i i saw one and it was a congressional testimony b- with a panel of congressmen and um some representatives from from um the department of health and human services and they were like physicians and scientists and whatnot and then they were showing um i don't remember who the who the congressman were, was but i know he was from a southern state and i won't say who the who the scientists were cuz i i know some of them but they um w- one of the congressmen was looking at a sheet of paper and then he flipped it over to the to, to the scientist and he said uh what's this here this is a lung right 
<laughs> and it was funny because here here is this person who represents our government sitting in a panel deciding the health of the nation basically and he doesn't know what a lung looks like you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like it's people who don't don't really understand it so like to your point courtney how you said that even if we set aside tons of resources to do an analysis like how i was talking about and you present it and you say hey guys the fact is that if everyone were given legal status and all illegals were given citizenship, you would, your income would increase by 17%. They wouldn't believe it. Another thing is our culture has become so like number crunching heavy, you know, statistics heavy that people become bombarded, like they become jaded with numbers, you know? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's when stories come in playing qualitative data yeah. comes into play absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and and i think like yeah no corny excellent point because that's exactly what i was gonna say like facts is not is one means of speaking is not the, the only means of uh, conveying and mm-hmm. you know using facts on people who don't really care about that as a narrative it's already making it like useless you're, you're talking to mm-hmm. so here's a here's a, a question for the group i'm sorry corny go ahead I think to all your points, it's more of maybe what we're doing is not the right approach. Maybe people need to figure out how to speak to the other side and tailor the narrative towards them. Because I know there's publications like Breitbart who has their articles. And there was one, this there was an extreme article that came out recently that they were called out on where they had a picture of like DACA recipients. But really, it was from like an El Salvadorian gang. And it mm-hmm. wasn't really people from like people receiving the support from that. And that's kind of what's skewing the other side. And they're marginalizing numbers. Like, I think it was like 2,000 of the crimes in the United States were from people who were under this, like, support. When realistic, if you back it out to a macro level, that's, like, less than 2% of the total crime in the United States. But that's not what's being presented. So they're escalating it from their side. Well, I feel like certain sides are taking the more, like, higher-level statistical approach when maybe that's really not what's resonating maybe the maybe the message needs to be different but. you know it's interesting you said that oh just because at one point when they were banning the arguments against gay marriage and homosexuality like back then the arguments mm-hmm. that they were pedophiles and they're saying oh you know what you you know a high percentage of people are pedophiles and they will you do your kids and whatnot and they remember that the argument was like if you look at the majority of the pedophile population it's actually heterosexuals, not homosexuals. But they, they give the perceptions that gay people are pedophiles by nature because they're they're the deviants. I, I feel like that's the same like logic that they impose with the crime mm-hmm. rates. They focus on a very small percentage and they make it more worse than um than than um the actual even when you look at holistically to macro level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carl, were you gonna say something? Sorry, I was just, I was just gonna throw in a a question to the group so suppose the government of the united states sends you a letter and says you know what we can't figure this out you tell us what we should do about our immigration problem what would you tell them Hmm. and if they said we'll we'll do whatever you propose Mm. (laughs) i would say amnesty (laughs) Yeah. 
I want to say my results for last because you're not gonna like what I'm gonna say. Uh oh, it's gonna be a Buddha quote and then something, something controversial. <laughs> Suck it, brother. <laughs> yeah, I would say um amnesty because a lot of people. I mean, the Customs and Border Patrol um, data also shows that not a lot of people are crossing in. Like the numbers have dropped in 2017. They've dropped forty um, percent from people migrating into the U.S. because they're they actually don't want to expose their families or even the fact that the risk of now with um, human trafficking, like you had mentioned before, one of those dangers, and then the physical dangers of actually just being in a desert and not knowing like where you're going and the fact that like you could lose your life just because you're risking it all. So because of those physical dangers, a lot of people have decided to, to not, um, you know, to not come so that, and we do have a larger number of um, border patrol agents as well. And we have this wall. So we have all these things that are already in place. So the people that are already here and are part of the, the DACA program or other great initiatives, like they should be able to get amnesty or for being here. Okay. So we got one for amnesty. What do you think, Courtney? I think, like it's hard for me because I'm not dived into it kind of essentially but I can see the opinion of both sides but I think just in terms of what the administration is doing they're taking it as black and white instead of just there is gray area because you're working with people and there's always going to be a gray area with some of these things I think it comes with like the proposal of the people who've been here since the as they were kids they haven't it wasn't they didn't have a choice but they're contributing to society I feel like that's fair and if like i don't know a full amnesty for everyone would necessarily be it but for people who've kind of proven their contributions to the society and they're not just mooching off of certain things like they do provide utility they do provide a certain aspect to the culture where they're contributing to make the united states a lot better so it's more so i think just a pivot of what like the daca program is and if they've been here for a certain amount of time and they haven't really done anything like people can squat on land and it could be their land um just from the united states like in alaska if you or just some remote area i think if you stay on a piece of land for a certain amount of years and you're not told to leave then that land is now your land because that's part of just the real estate law that's part of like that ownership of land so Casey is smiling because I think he wants to do that. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go stand. Let's go stand on an acre. But like, if there's certain things like that, like in place, then I can see similar pivots for people who've been here for a substantial amount of time and aren't doing anything negative within the country. And if they are given the opportunity to contribute, I can see them willing to do so. Um, I don't think people are avoiding to pay taxes because they're they just hate America. I think it's more so they're scared of being deported at that point. Mm-hmm. But that's so the U.S. Me. is basically history of squatting. Yeah, essentially. But they also have, to your point earlier, Casey, they have they have like history of blocking off immigrants. Chinese people have been prevented from immigrating Mm -hmm. over. Irish people have been prevented from immigrating over. Japanese people have been prevented from immigrating over. And then after they realize, oh crap, we need all these people, then they raise the act and everyone can come back in. Like, it sucks that there's 
they're forced to realize what their community is without the without immigration, without people from different countries, and then it has to revert. But unfortunately, there's that stretch of time where those people have to suffer because of it. Yeah, you know, the thing, I remember reading this economic policy about how with corporate America, actually, the influx of in, of immigration in now the country was, was correlated to, like, the work labor force, like, cheap labor. Mm-hmm. And so I think this immigration of, like, us, like, controlling the amount of people coming in, I think that's not always the larger piece picture. We're missing something beneath that. And the issue of like human trafficking across the border, whether it's legally or illegally, that's I think um, there's a lot more to it, nuance to it than we than we think. Uh-huh. And then I think for my argument is I if the government asks me what to do, I would say do exactly what you're doing right now to keep the status quo. Because I think in this argument of this DACA is we're not talking about what is right and what's human. We're really talking about who gets to be in the table, who gets to be with us, the conversation of what it means to be American, like how are you, you know, are you an in-group or an out-group? And I think right now our country is in the process of determining, you know, redefining our identity as, you know, Americans. And so this kind of conversation, this conflict we're having, I think that's a really good thing for America because... 20, 30, 50 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the fact that we're having it now means that our identity, our basic politics are shifting. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I would say people are also fleeing their countries because of violence. And where did, where did this violence come from? Who is at the root cause of this violence? America? <laughs> did I get it? Uh, yeah i mean we you know the central powerhouse of the world is america so we have that responsibility as well Mm -hmm. yeah so you know we have that shared responsibility Mm -hmm. yeah all right guys so right now we are at the 34 minute mark of the show so i think it's time that we wrap up can we move on to the bottom line yes Mm -hmm. okay yep so instead of me proposing a question, what I want to do, uh, since the four of us can see each other, but our listeners can't see us, um, is that I we should play rock, paper, scissor and see who gets to propose the bottom line question. Wow. You ready? Okay. Got it. I don't want to win. I want to lose. Wait, Jasmine, I don't see your hand, though. Everyone, everyone choose rock. I'm going to choose scissors. <laughs> okay. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors. Shoot. Shoot. Oh, two scissors. Oh. Jasmine out. <laughs> <laughs> that was paper. Two scissors. Okay, so Courtney, you get to do it, Courtney. <laughs> go for it. Why? No. <laughs> um, Courtney, Courtney. I, so I would say from the bottom line, um, the question would... B, let's see. In your opinion, do you what do you feel like needs to change about the border wall conversation if a change is needed at all? The million dollar question. <laughs> the billion dollar question. Yeah, eighteen billion, billion dollar question. Yeah, that's how much it costs. Border patrol, eighteen billion, more than yeah. any other state department's funding, yeah. DA and all that stuff. That could go to so many other things. Well, I guess I'll, I'll take the question first. I think that if we look at 
what's happened historically over time that walls come up but then they come down and if you build a wall people are going to find a way to either climb it and jump over it or dig through it or knock it down and i think that that's going to happen whether it happens in our lifetime or not i have no idea but i think that um we have to be able to build positive working relationships with our neighbors especially uh, not not just for like defense and whatnot but also for trade i think that um a, another issue that's often mentioned is like oh everything's made in china and china this china that but imagine if we if if we had like all of our major exporters located right south of our border like how much cheaper would things be how much um better economic boost would we have i think that in a di- like not people are, tend to think about all of the negative things that they're trying to keep out um of the us but we have a lot of those issues here already and i think that we need to shift the conversation and talk about what benefits can come from it and i know that maybe at the very beginning we're not going to be able to see what those benefits are or it'll be really hard to convince people but through being able to mention it over and over and over again um i think that it'll catch on and i think that's something that happened also in berlin when people came together from both sides and they were like you know what screw this wall and they took it down so in your opinion build a wall and so we can take it down because right now we don't have a wall <laughs> i think if you're going to i think if you're going to have one you got to think of why it's there and also like think about what it is that you're going to do with the people who are already inside are you going to allow them into your society or are you not um and like casey said earlier congress you got to start pushing some start pushing those pens and and come up with some solutions Who's next? I'd say that like recipients that have um, been part of the DACA system, like they are very proud members of today's society. They know that you know for them, they've worked really hard to be where they're at, and this opportunity for them has. Yes, they were brought here um, without them knowing because they were still children, but the fact that they've been here and they've been part of the system because education is a human right and we have that responsibility as citizens to continue to give education um to our to anybody who wants it regardless of their status and if they need if if they're working and they're contributing like i we can all you know agree that if we do, if there is, um, you know, if there is an assessment of the whole process, like everybody that is part of this program has been able to contribute to society um, successfully. So if this program is showing to to contribute in some way, what are, why are we taking it away? And what are we doing to, you know, to help solve this issue? Because now we just created another issue and we created more fear in this country. And by us, being able to build this wall, continue to build this wall, we're just dividing. Because if we look at it historically, Texas, California is Mexico. It is Mexico. Me- you know, yes, it was divi- it was divided and became a state because the U.S. Um, you know took it over in war and whatnot. But historically, California and Texas have all been part of Mexico. And because of the violence there, people migrate and they're coming here. 
Um, so we, you know, there's something that both governments need to work together. Both countries need to work together to help um, decrease the violence there. And if there's, and we're also looking at it in economics perspective, because if people are purchasing drugs, if the United, if the U.S. is, a, you know, has a demand for drugs and Mexico has the cartels that is providing that, you know, into the country, then there's a supply and demand. So that's also an economic factor that also plays into effect here with a violence, with a structural violence component. Those are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with more metaphoric example. Why do we have prostitution since it's done on humanity? There's always been prostitutes, right? And the, 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 more, the argument is we should create laws to prevent prostitution. We do all these laws to like impede or punish or put them in jail. But the actual reality is that while in looking at the, the, the prostitution, pros, pros, prostitutors, prostitutes, prostitutes, <laughs> we should really look at the people who are using their services, right? Mm-hmm. It's what does it tell us about our, our nature as just human beings? Like, that you know okay well what i think is the border issue is not about crime and violence it's really we need to look at the mirror in ourselves to say hey what is it that we're allowing to enter and what are we supporting us uh like by all these illegal activities drugs prostitution human trafficking you mean like this modern day slavery in the united states you know we, we cover this like even in los angeles new york city there's americans who are actually enslaving people you know mm-hmm. like these are really dark aspects of humanity these are the stuff we should target not oil and not wish put up a border and so because i like quotes i'm going to finish up this with my piece with a quote but not from the buddha <laughs> not this buddha my, no not buddha this time he can talk about borders not so yet. not, not buddha and not the god version of morgan freeman right no, no, okay. no. But there's this guy, he's a, he's a U.S. representative. His name is Sylvester Reyes, and he's uh, in Texas. He's a Democrat in Texas, and he says this. You can't ever seal the border. You can never stop anything 100%. As long as there's a market, as long as there's a profit, there will always be someone taking a chance and getting through that border. Yep, yeah, at, mm-hmm. at the core, we're all... Um, opportunity seekers, right? Mm-hmm. Or devious little sinners. Yep. <laughs> Corny, what do you? Yeah, what, do you what do you think? Adam and Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eve. <laughs> what are your um. Thoughts? So from my side, I think the dialogue we're having now, to Casey's earlier point, is important, and I think. The conversation about the wall was very one-sided originally, like especially during the elections. It was one side really wanting it and one side being, no, that's stupid. That's a ridiculous look at the price tag. When realistically, that probably shouldn't have been the opposing opinion. It should have been more resonating to hear what those people's concerns were and rebuttaling it with actual notes that probably impacted and can influence their decision. I think now as these discussions are becoming more and more apparent and people are being more and more outspoken, which I think is great. And I feel like everyone has just a responsibility to do it's how to make it feel like it's going to impact the people who oppose it because people's inherent nature, I would say a lot of the times is they don't pay attention until they feel like it affects them. Um, Like no one, no one really cares what's going on unless it physically affects them. Like you don't, 
like it doesn't really resonate in terms of empathy if you have no connection to these people that which is why like bad things are happening in other countries in the united states like oh that's that's bad but then when things like hurricane harvey and stuff we all come together and we band together because it hits closer to home because there are people at in like a kind of black and white type of way so it's how to tell the story so people understand that we're all part of the same like we're all part of the same problem and resonating it that way so it hits closer to home for some of these people who are so strongly against it because right now they're stuck in their ways because they the message that they've gotten is how it impacts them and it and they think it impacts them in a negative way because no one's ever taken the time to be like no it's actually doing this and it could actually benefit you by doing x y and z like i feel like everyone's stuck in their arguments and they're not taking the time to hear the other side and propose something where it's a compromise when it's not really a compromise but it's telling the story of we hear you and this is why it would benefit you instead of just saying no you're wrong because x y and z i think that's probably a shift that needs to happen but given human nature as well times mm-hmm. yeah well this is a uh, definitely been a, a great discussion and a very um, applicable to our modern times it should be very interesting to see how the DACA situation and the wall situation unfolds over the next couple months and over the next few years and now we turn to our listeners what do you think about the border wall and DACA are there any topics you'd like to hear on the show make sure to send us your thoughts at info at ologyresearchgroup.org and also make sure to check us out on twitter at ology research have a great week everyone Thank you.